0: Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 34 of 2021 and finally feeling like summer. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have someone who I will still not challenge in an Apple Watch workout competition, Brian Deach. You know, you talk a lot of crap or poop,
1: whatever I can say on a, this podcast. Homie's like August goal for the, the Apple Watch challenge is like 176 miles, which is like five or six miles a day, I wanna hear it. But anyways, you know what, in Arizona, it won't stop raining here, and I'll be honest with you guys, I love it. It's officially nap weather, and speaking of, if I'm ever in a coma, don't wake me up,
0: I'm doing exactly what I love. Glenn is unavailable this week, but should be back next week. Our guest this week is Sammy Ariyapour. He is the first non-sales engineer guest host, although technically he was an SE. Sammy, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Chris. So uh, yeah, uh, my name is Sammy Aripur. I've been in the security space for about 10 years now. Uh, As Chris mentioned, I started my career as a sales engineer, but after a few years, I swapped over to the dark side and have not looked back since. So uh, glad to be here with you guys today.
0: And glad to have you. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm in between
1: on having you here. I mean, you're over there in your ivory tower looking all, you know, handsome. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on over there, Sammy.
2: He's done something, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now that the pandemic is somewhat over, although COVID is starting to resurge and the future of travel may or may not be. Uh, known, or what's to come, but do you guys have any big travel plans coming up?
2: Yes, I actually just booked an Airbnb with the wifey uh, out a couple weeks from now in Slow. Uh, it's going to be the first time we've actually gone out, so uh, I just had a second kid about four months ago, and we've just been you know, all hands on deck taking care of the kids. So this will be a, a nice little breather uh, just to get out and take care of the kids in a different environment. So looking
1: forward to it. Yeah. Any vacation where the kids go is not really a vacation. Like, uh, I believe that. Uh, And trust me, I have an 18-year-old daughter and and three other ones. (laughs) And so anytime we go, it's like we get back, I'm like, I kind of need a vacation from the vacation. Like, me and my wife just duck out and go do something without these kids.
2: Yeah, so the problem with that is, is like, I feel like... They're so young, even if we were to drop them off at the grandparents after a couple hours, I would end up just thinking about them the whole time, not even being able to enjoy myself. So I think we're just kind of in this flux state for the next few years, at least where, you know, we just have to, like you said, take care of kids in a different location. Uh, and then after they're a little bit older, maybe we can actually Dump them off somewhere and go have some fun. Oh,
1: what a weirdo. Yeah, this weirder. guy likes weirder. his kids, Chris. What are we gonna do?
2: <laughs> I, I haven't gotten fully jaded yet. My <laughs> oldest one is is gonna be three in November, so maybe maybe in a half a year or so I'll get to where you guys are.
0: Yeah, there will become come a time where you'll you'll feel comfortable leaving them in good hands and you'll you'll actually be able to enjoy yourself. Yeah, so yeah. so my, my my next big venture out
1: would uh hopefully be Kauai. That's our, our favorite location to go. And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I almost didn't want to tell this story, but anytime I take the kids out to do something, someone always gets injured. And we were, in, <laughs> oh, no. yeah, we were in Kauai down at the, the South end, like Poipu beach, I believe is what it's called. And, uh, like we were like boogie board surfing. And I was like, nah, man, we want to go over there with the, the, the waves are bigger and, uh, should have done that. Number one. So we go over there and literally third wave we catch next thing you know, we are like, far from everyone and then I look up and I'm like we're on the rocks right and my kids my 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 son and my daughter that you know two older ones they're out over there I'm like I'm yelling at them I'm like go around do something and I just see them falling down right like getting getting hit by waves I'm like oh my god I'm killing my kids and so I'm like all right I gotta make a beeline for the beach and I'm swimming so hard it feels like it takes 30 minutes just to get back to the beach as I'm swimming against all the elements of nature and I get there and I can barely stand up; I'm so exhausted. And I look over, and I can't see the kids. And now I'm freaking out, right? So I, I run up, and there's like a Sheraton hotel. And, and then I see my kids, and they're like, they're, they're like limping; they're just bloody everywhere. <laughs> oh man. We can Gosh. laugh. We we laugh at it now, but it was one of those times. that
0: then I end that must up. Must be terrifying. Yeah, it wasn't. The moment wasn't
1: my, my best dad moment, but uh, we ended up going to like the, the the Sheraton hotel. We weren't even staying there. And the people there really like, just so kind of like, yeah, come over here. Like, like you're, you know, they stepped on sea urgence, and so we had to like pour some stuff. And, <laughs> and then I'm carrying my, my daughter back on my, on my back to the beach. And my wife just looks at me like, I'm going to kill you. Like, what did you do? These poor kids. <laughs>
0: you broke the kids. Yeah. You know, that
2: makes me feel a lot. It makes me feel better. Yesterday I took my older one to the park and he was on one of those little disc spinny rides where you hold on to it and he spin around. And I got a little carried away and started spinning him really fast and he flew off and landed on his butt and his back, and it felt so bad, because, I mean, it was the first time, like, I kind of injured him.
1: Oh, you're so a terrible a totally Good job. I'm just I, I am. <laughs> I'm,
2: but, but, you know, in, in you sharing your story, I totally just had a little flashback from yesterday, and then just kind of hurting the kids. It doesn't feel good. No, it does not. Yeah,
0: one thing I picked up, after becoming a parent is is kids are a lot more resilient than you think like you know before you have kids you think they're they're really fragile and you know i was guilty of it when we brought our daughter home the first time i i checked every half hour to make sure she was still breathing and and everything but yeah after a while you learn they they are a lot more resilient than than you think thank god so what are you gonna do chris what's your next big vacation uh, I don't have anything reserved yet, but hoping to maybe do some international travel later this year if the plans come together and we're not in another lockdown. But yeah, hope hope to get out of the country, uh, maybe a little bit later this year.
1: Are you thinking APAC and MIA, Latin America? What would you?
0: What would Chris, the hunter, do? Probably so- something around the equator, something around the, the the tropics, something around the equator. I would say something that that war. I, I I like. Places that are warm in in like October through December, and that's probably the only place you'll find somewhere warm at that time. Although I guess since the the seasons are inverted on in the Southern Hemisphere, I could go to like Australia and it'd be summer in, in December. But yeah, basically anywhere warm at yeah. at the end of the year.
2: But then need would be upside down for like a week, and I don't know the head yeah. blood rushes to your head or something. <laughs> I don't think it's healthy for you after a while.
0: That, that and the toilets
1: flushing the other
0: direction. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's right. So true story, <laughs> Mister. I like the warm weather in the ocean. Uh, my first time going to Kauai, I'd found out through him that he had been there before it was one of his spots. And so he actually, he just got back. I'm like, yeah, man, we're going to go. Where should I, you know, you know, like what, what beaches do you recommend? He's like, and he was there for like a week. He's like, yeah, we didn't go to any beaches. Like we just kind of hung out the resort. I'm like, what kind of terrorist are you, man? Like who goes to Hawaii? <laughs> doesn't go to the ocean. So whatever. By the way, my, my bucket list right now, when we talk about, you know, below the equator, New Zealand, I think would be pretty rad. I haven't been there. Have you guys? Yeah, it goes
0: to the Kiwis.
2: I have not. I've seen it on Lord of the Rings, but haven't been there yet.
0: I would dread that flight, man. It's probably uh, 20 it's, hours maybe.
2: It's, it's probably one of the worst ones. I did a San Francisco – no, let me – I did it backwards. I did a Thailand to Hong Kong to San Francisco in one day. It was more than one day, Oof. but just in one in one whole event. And I think the total flight time – Was like 26 hours. I would gladly pay extra money going forward to not ever do that again. That was the worst. I think staying at one spot, and then if you have a layover, just stay there for a couple days, you know, go get some of the food and hang out and just relax. But just three in a row is just too much. Never again.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I don't think I could do
2: that. New Zealand is just one of those where it's just you, you can't stop. You have to, you just have to tough through it. Make sure you get first class or something. You could stretch your legs a little bit, you know.
1: I'm just going to take a raft. Yep. Let's take the kids out on a raft. <laughs> <laughs> I can already hear my, my, I can hear my wife's eyes rolling as I say it. What could go wrong?
0: All right. On to our first topic. In a case of fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. One tactic that U.S. Cyber Command has been using is to release malware samples up to virus total from known APT hacking campaigns. They did this a few times with North Korea's Lazarus Group to try and disrupt their operations. The U.S. intelligence community and the NSA previously held onto the known IOCs or the indications of compromise being used by these APT crews, as had not tipped their hand that we know about it. However, under the previous administration, there was a shift in the way the intelligence community shares these IOCs with the private sector. The thought is if The US publicly releases these IOCs to VirusTotal. Cybersecurity vendors can add these IOCs to their detection and anyone with an AV subscription and a feed to VirusTotal will automatically block the malware. So if North Korea's malware is getting automatically blocked, they have to spend time writing new malware instead of infecting new people with their existing malware. The so-called guns versus butter argument. Now Russia's SVR intelligence. ARM, known as APT29 or Cozy Bear, believe it or not, they're still using the same command and control infrastructure that they were using a year ago. Back in April, the US FBI issued a warning for companies to number one, patch their systems against the known vulnerabilities being exploited by APT29 and block access to the command and control servers that were being used. However, organizations are still getting breached by those vulnerabilities and the existing command and control infrastructure is still in use. So despite the U.S.'s best efforts to take down this, this, uh, APT crew, what they're doing is still working.
1: So I got to ask the question, like why, like if you, if you have a company, right? Business and you're getting hit with these things that are super old, like how does this keep happening? Are people overworked? Do they not care? did they accidentally send like you know these IOC feed updates to the junk mail <laughs> and they're just missing everything I, I don't i don't get it what do you guys think or is it just too hard to patch something not not good inventory i mean there's so many things can be going on right here
2: so let me make sure i understand this the government is giving private entities free information to help them better defend themselves and these companies are not taking that information and ingesting it and bolstering their defenses correct
0: yeah, they're, they're not doing anything with it. So there's a known list of, of you know, bad MD5 files and hashes and uh, IP addresses to servers serving up these command and controls. And, and the U.S. government is just giving this away and saying, you know, protect yourself and you know, block these known IOCs. And this companies for you know, one reason or another. Maybe they're not updating. Maybe they don't have the capability to or the sophistication to. But they're still getting hit with the same malware that was out a year ago.
2: Well, how sophisticated does a security person or team need to be to actually take those signatures given to them and incorporate them into their security posture? I mean, it's not it's not that heavy of a lift. Yeah, I
1: think you just need a credit
2: score and a heartbeat to be able to do that at that point. (laughs) (laughs) So so we can say it's not the difficulty factor. Um, You know, we all know that it's hard to find good security people in this space and there's a shortage of, of of good people. So. You know, I think that could be part of it, but a lot of this is, it should be automated, right? It's not like somebody should manually have to go and update something. They should just have some sort of feed that constantly is downloading the latest and greatest. I know several companies like Zscaler offer service like this. Um, so I'm actually just kind of str- scratching my head thinking what companies are in a position where they, where they don't have the tools to do something that basic.
1: Can you imagine the interview question though? You're like, they're looking for a security guy. They're like, how would you block this IP address? <laughs> in a corporate environment, like guys like, yeah, just black hole you know, black hole it, you know, deny the IP and call it a day. They're like, you're hired. How much do you need? <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a blank check. <laughs> Fix my problems. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that's, that's the problem though, Sam, I mean, what you alluded to is, is the, I guess the lack of, of security professionals that are available and the ones that are, are, how do we say over, not overpriced, but a lot of companies might not be able to afford that. So they have to, Outsource it. Right. There's a lot of you know, MSPs out there, managed security providers out there that that should be doing this, or you know, some small, to medium-sized business their their entire security strategy is just hope and prayers that they just hope that they don't get hit with something like this.
2: Yeah, I uh, one of my old managers used to say, "Hope is not a strategy," and I uh, take that to heart.
1: <laughs> not a good security so... policy either, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, uh, Chris. Can you explain to me what the heck "guns versus butter" is? I've never heard that that expression. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. So the, <laughs> the expression of "guns versus butter," I guess this is more. I don't know if it's political science, but it, it it's definitely government. So when a government is preparing for war, they're focusing their efforts on making guns, tanks, bombers, and the like, and they're not feeding their population. The, the thought is you can focus on one or the other. You can't you can't do well at, at both, and that in times of peace. You focus on the butter. You feed your population. You're not making guns. You're not making tanks uh, and the like. So you can really focus on one or the other. And the the parallel here is if the North Korean Lazarus group is focused on developing new malware that hasn't gotten blocked by some Virus Total, then they're not spreading their existing malware. It forces them to work on themselves instead of blasting this malware out and wreaking havoc in the world. So I thought... but in today's world, go ahead.
2: So I was going to say, but in today's world, you can outsource making the butter while you focus on the weapons, and North Korea can outsource spreading the malware while they focus on making the malware or vice versa, correct?
0: They can, but the, the thought is there's they have a finite number of, of resources because that costs money. In the end, it's usually money, resources, personnel, and the like. So if they're spending their money feeding their population, they're not building weapons. Now we... We all know how North Korea feels and where they sit on that curve that they're developing weapons and neglecting their, their population. But if, if they have a finite number of hackers and if they were to pay somebody else to do it, then that's money that they're not paying their hackers that is being spent outsourcing that. You know, when I first read it, I was like, well, is this like a, you know, proposal, like,
1: like the immediate threat is guns, but if we don't want to do that, we'll kill you slowly butter. Like... Our long-term investment here is, the, <laughs> is, you know, congested heart failure. Make failures, people obese. Really. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's. But speaking of IOCs, right? That we have a, a new guy that's starting the team uh, that will be in the Midwest that we should probably have on the call. He came from the financial vertical, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Like, there's IOCs that they'll share with like Ziska, right? But there's also IOCs that they share between other financial institutions that they don't share outside of that. And then as a point of uh, just, I I guess, from a a checking sanity, right, is they'll look at a threat that wasn't immediately detected or like this, right? The APT one that was uh, shared out by the federal government. And they'll plug that in and they'll say, okay, based off of this information, when we were told about it, when did we actually recognize it with our current security tools in today? And it, it was, it was kind of weird. Like there were some things that were picking it up within an hour and there were some that was doing within six days. And then there were some tools that were just completely missing it. They had to actually open up tickets with these security vendors to actually block these things. So I think, I think that this IOC championing, I think is something uh, that maybe we should have a little bit closer discussion on. And I think we should bring him in as part of that as well. And I'll leave his name because I don't know if he's actually re-
0: resigned from the current company's app yet, <laughs> I think it's interesting of, and when we have this guest on, they, they, he, he or she might be able to, to tell us, but why wouldn't the U.S. government share this publicly? So there's, I I can understand why they wouldn't want to share an exploit publicly because if somebody gets a hold of that exploit before it's patched, then that just can spread like wildfire. But if I have like a known bad IP address, like why wouldn't I share that with, with everybody Maybe it's their own IP, right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it's kind of suspect that these IPs are still up and running. You would think with the the strong arm of the U.S. federal government that we can go in there and,
0: and shut down any website that we want. Yeah, one like or DNS black hole it or something. Yeah. Like, Yeah, this, this is a known APT hacking crew. We can get IANA to kill their connection. Or or Verizon. Or Team- yeah. You know what I mean? like, there's, there's other ways around it.
2: So maybe it's one of those... Scenarios where you know a cop sees a bad guy doing something but lets him go because that bad guy's gonna lead him to a bigger bad guy kind of
0: deal. That, I mean, that that's definitely possible. That that they uh, and and I've seen cases of this where uh, like dark markets. This is a big with the dark markets, like like Silk Road type sites, like underground like websites that you can buy drugs and guns and murder for hire. And they were allowed to run because the FBI had infiltrated it and they were like collecting all this evidence on people before they shut down the website, sprung their trap and got a whole bunch of people. So, yeah, maybe it's allowed to run because we've we've hacked the hackers and now we're just collecting data.
1: Can you imagine like they're just doing the lab, the bad guy and just follow the next bad guy and they keep going up the chain and slowly they figure out like they've hit the pinnacle. Right. And it's like this six foot three white dude that's 216 (sighs) pounds. In Albuquerque,
0: New Mexico, <laughs> and it's Walter White. Oh my God! No one saw it coming. I was
2: gonna say <laughs> suspiciously specific. <laughs>
0: and up until you said New Mexico, I was thinking you were talking about Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Is he that tall? No,
2: Vlad, Vlad's like five three or something. He's he's on the shorter side.
0: Yeah, not, not if you ask the official state media. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seven feet tall. Of course not. Of course. He could bench a diesel. all right well this next story when i first heard it i thought it was a giant nothing burger but i had three separate people ask us to cover so i I thought it would be worth discussing this one might be a long one because it is controversial apple announced that in ios 15 their next major update to the iphone and ipad uh, devices they will be implementing client-side photo detection technology to locate and filter explicit content on people's iPhones and iPad devices. Now, the press had a field day with this one, with headlines saying, Apple is spying on you, Apple wants to backdoor your iPhone, and there's just a lot of fun around this, so let me lay it out, and I'd like to see where you guys land on this. Despite what the media tells you, it does not break end-to-end encryption. This is the same thing as like something like a keylogger, where you can grab messages before they're sent. The actual transmission is still secure, but the information can be leaked prior to transmission. And that's very different from breaking end-to-end encryption. So I think Apple is willing to go
1: to great lengths to really shorten our battery uh, performance, right? Like I have to imagine <laughs> like if this is running at the endpoint. but jokes aside, like I'm kind of pissed by how they framed it, right? Like we're gonna use this to go after like child pornography, like who's not against it, right? child pornographers, right? So you don't want to be the guy that's be like, no, nah, I don't know about this, guys. You probably turn this off. But the reality is, like, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Because it's only a matter of time before, you know, it was used for good, but realistically, it could be used for anything else. Like, how soon in there would it go through and, and maybe look for, I don't know, let's say that you're saying something that's either pro or negative towards COVID, right? And they just go there and just eradicate that picture from your phone as well. Like, I, I don't like... The censorship that's around it, despite it being a good idea for the you know arresting the the really bad people that are out there, but I don't know I don't I don't know how I feel about that.
2: I I think you hit the nail on the head there, and I think especially because Apple really positions themselves as you know the company who cares about security, unlike Google and you know the way they do Android and all their data collection. Apple's really differentiated themselves by taking that stance uh, around security. So. You know, I think what they're doing isn't anything new, Um, but I do think it leaves the door open uh, for potential future bads. I think the Patriot Act is a great example of how this actually happened. You know, this was all approved back after 9-11 under the guise of, you know, making sure this doesn't happen again and, you know, freedom and this and that. But we found out later down the road that it was actually being abused and, uh, you know, they were inching into the gray area. Edward Snowden, you know, brought a lot of light to that whole uh, topic but it's just an example of how you can start something with good intentions but over time it can morph into something that it wasn't initially intended for and I think that's what the big issue is with with people uh, being against this so even though today Apple might not have you know bad intentions it just leaves the door open for abuse down the road and I think they could have also done a better job of explaining how it works because if you understand how it actually works, you'll know it's not anything new and other companies do this. Um, but again, given that they are all about privacy, uh, and then they do something like this, I think they could have been more sensitive and and at least worded it or announced how it works in a little bit better of a way.
0: We we've definitely seen this argument before, like, like you guys said, uh, the the it's for the children argument. When former head of the FBI James Comey met with Apple, he said, "Yeah, the FBI we we definitely need a universal backdoor into every iPhone in case a child is kidnapped and they need to get into a suspect's device to find that child." So they they pulled this exact same card on exactly why they need a universal you know, ghost or skeleton key to every every person's iphone so yeah we've definitely seen this before it's for the children and if you're against this then then you're against the children so like let's take the emotion out of it and just say we're we're looking for illegal material now i also believe this this can potentially be a slippery slope because if you remember apple had to build a separate iCloud infrastructure in China because of Chinese regulations. And what do Chinese regulations say? The Chinese government can go in and do a sneak and peek, or actually, it's not actually sneak and peek. They just gotta go in there and, and, and take whatever data they want. And and if, if Apple wants to operate in China, that's the way you have to do it. You gotta play by their rules, or you're just locked out of you know, 1.5 billion potential customers there. And what's to stop Apple from allowing China to do this? from scanning your phone for photos of the opposition party leader to see who supports the opposition party leader, find their supporters or determine that party leader's location based on, on these, these photos. It's, it is a slippery slope. And I'm especially sensitive because I know how the Chinese government operates and it is very play by our rules or we're going to lock you out. I thought anything Apple was illegal there. Like you can't get out to the app store if you're in mainland China, right. Or has that changed? Certain apps are banned from the Chinese app store. So V things like VPN, like you can't download a VPN app or on, only government approved VPN apps, I should say you, you can do that in China, but, but yeah, China is a huge market for Apple. There is an app store, um, in China, but only government approved apps makes
1: you wonder though like when you talk about like what is illegal material right like if on the joe rogan experience he had some dudes on there talking about uh not anything negative towards the current vaccine but they were talking about an alternative medicine that was generic that could be produced very very cheaply called ivermectin and so how how easily would it be for them to go through your phone and just like if that was deemed as inappropriate material right and be able to purge that? Whether you believe it or not, that's still kind of messed up, right? I like the I like the freedom of getting the information and in doing my own due diligence on it and making my own decisions. I don't want anyone telling me what to do,
0: except for my wife. Love you, hon.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, there's definitely a balance between stopping the spread of misinformation and and censorship, and I think we're actually seeing that right now in a lot of the social media apps absent. Apps services out there they they are really walking that fine line because because you know a year ago they banned certain posts suggesting this medication worked or this is the origin of the virus or you know this or that and they, they just stopped people from posting that because they claimed it was spreading misinformation and then we come a year later and they said oh well that was actually correct a year ago and it was our bad for for censoring that so it's it's a very fine line to walk but i do get your point of this is again, goes back to who watches the Watchmen, who gets to determine what is banned and, and what's not. And I think to start, and this is, this is Apple's pitch. So to start, they have a list of known hashes from, there's a nonprofit organization that, that tries to stop the trafficking of this child exploitation material. And they keep a list of hashes of known bad files. And this client side service, it scans your fi- your pictures hashes the file and only the hash gets sent up to the cloud and if it matches one of the bad hashes i actually don't know what happens if they alert the authorities or they delete the photo or uh, yeah i'm I'm not sure what happens if they find a match but only in the case where it finds a match to a known bad file that's maintained by this list from this nonprofit company then that's when this would, would take effect but that's the pitch of how it works today that might not be how it works tomorrow though yeah i guarantee like dude Number one,
1: and I'll pick on you, Sam, because you have a young one. I guarantee you, you've taken a picture of your kids in the bathtub, right? That is not child pornography. Okay. Just like there's photos of us playing in the bathtub as kids as well. Like, it was just a perfectly normal thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't, I don't like any of it. But, you know, if I'm going to go down the conspiracy theory path, this is what I think is really going down, guys. When was the last time Apple did an announcement that, like, Gizmodo didn't actually already know about it? Think about that for a second. Like it's been like a decade, maybe like if not longer. So if Apple has the the ability to go through there and like scan like for their iPhone prototypes or anything else, then boom, they can put the uh, the lid back on the secret and go back to surprising people. They say it's in the name of child, you know, protecting children, but it's really about their own software. I guarantee it. And, And
2: the and the fact that they use the it's for the children excuse just makes it that much more skimmy, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. That or the reporters are going to have to switch to Android or BlackBerry. BlackBerry. Jeez, can you imagine? So
2: I guess, you know, another question is, so I think you just hit on it though, Brian, is this really to protect themselves or like, why are they doing this? Why now? Why do they think that they need to start censoring things, going to iCloud? Why is it, why is it their responsibility? Why can't ISPs or, you know, somewhere else do it where all of this traffic funnels through regardless. Like if they're trying to do what they say they're trying to do, is this really the best way to do it?
1: It's literally the only way to do it with secure transport of, of information, like the end end
0: encryption. Yeah. I don't know
1: how you do that otherwise.
0: Yeah. It's got to be for data at rest, either on the device or on the server. And Microsoft has been doing this for a while. They came out with a product called photo DNA where they, Turn an image, they grayscale it, they hash sections of it. So if somebody, you know, inverts the colors or crops the photo, you know that that would change the hash. But if you go into sections of it and you hash sections of it, then then they'll be able to catch that. So Microsoft's been doing this for a while now. They didn't get any or much press. Not definitely not as much as Apple. But again, Sammy, to your point, like why now? There wasn't some big event that happened that Apple says we have to take a stand on this. So. I'm not sure what their motive is. If they just said, well, this is the 15th iteration of our operating system. Let's do something different. And now they're going to start this this client-side photo detection. You can opt out, though, right?
2: As long as you don't use iCloud, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if you do not back up your photos to iCloud, this will not affect you. Oh, okay. Then but They're going to see all my photos. But... <laughs>
2: Yeah, so they'll still be able to scan locally, and you still have a 5G or whatever connection out somewhere. So just because it's not going to iCloud right now doesn't mean anything.
1: I'm gonna watermark all my photos, chrislouie.net.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Send uh, them I'm all bad. my way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> One last thing. All right, let's, so the file is bad, right? It, it, the intelligence says that this is indeed bad. That's got to go down to human review somewhere down the chain. Oh my God! Talk about the worst job in America or wherever these people have to sit at. Like I don't care who you are, that is terrible. I don't like. There, there's a company uh, that's here in Chandler, Arizona, that they 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 basically any any video or post that is deemed as inappropriate gets sent to them for all these big social media companies, right? And so they actually have on-site counsel for people that like, hey. One too many people have been decapitated today in my in my inbox feed. Like, I need to go talk to someone about this. Like, that is terrible. No thanks.
2: I've heard about this. I, I have actually heard, I read a, an article, I think a year or so ago, about how these employees, like third-party co- contractors to Facebook, were responsible for, you know, reviewing and flagging content, or flag content, and they were having serious, like, mental issues because of all the graphic things they were seeing online. So... Yeah, I think it definitely takes a toll on you after a while and I don't know who would sign up for that job.
0: Yeah. Content moderator for a social media site has to be one of the worst jobs in the world mentally. And just think of the, the, the PTSD that you'll you get from that. Like at least to me it's not worth it. I know somebody's it's a dirty job and someone's gotta do it, but yeah, that, that's not something I'd I'd be comfortable with. Five
2: hundred k a
1: year. <laughs> nope, I'm <laughs> so, nope, <laughs> nope, I'm working at McDonald's. Nope, I'm working. Still at McDonald's. Five hundred k. I don't even care. No, thank you. Um, one, you know, I keep saying one last thing. The other part here would be like, <clears throat> I mean, talk about like the stop the the sharing of misinformation, right? Like that whole concept. I feel like that has been a bigger divide. Like it, it's it's sent there to stop us from getting the you know the wrong information. But at the same time, like there's like they're missing so much of it, thank God, that we still have the ability to kind of educate ourselves through it. And I think that is actually causing a more more of a divide, right? The fact that I think Big Brother is intentionally hiding stuff from me, and they're like, oh, Brian, you're an idiot. We can't let you see that. You can't make decisions for yourself. Like, no, thank you. Like, let, let me have it. Let me do it. I think they're doing a tremendous disservice ah. for everyone.
2: Well, how many people went and actually tried to inject themselves with bleach? Natural selection,
1: Sammy. Let them do it. No, I hundred percent. I hundred percent agree with you.
2: Hundred percent agree with you. But those people still exist, unfortunately.
1: I'm and I'm okay with that. Like, let them go. Like, that's too little, too late. The world is
2: the world is pretty crowded. Or eat Tide Pods. Go for it, man.
1: Like, I I heard there's a cherry flavor. Go get it.
0: <laughs> Disclaimer: There's not actually a cherry flavor, and please don't eat Tide Pods. <laughs> Or Bleach. Or bleach. <laughs> or bleach. Yeah, or Bleach. All right, on to our next topic. A hacker reportedly returns millions of dollars after a massive $600 million crypto heist. The Pauling Network, a decentralized finance platform that works across blockchains, announced that a cyber attack happened against them and about $600 million in cryptocurrency, I think primarily in the form of Ethereum, was stolen the Poly Network sent out an emergency broadcast to all the the major cryptocurrency exchanges out there and told them to block a specific address that the the coins were sent to or the coins were stolen from. And apparently it worked because the hacker is now going to return the money and is asking for donations for doing the right thing. Wow. (laughs) Like
1: a modern day, like, you know... uh, Pandering on the side of the the highway, you know,
0: looking for money. He's doing it with crypto. All right. He's like he's got six hundred million dollars that he he or she uh, cannot spend. This is dirty money, and I guess nobody wants to touch it because uh, it's still. And we've seen cryptocurrency hacks before, so this is. I think this is probably one of the first times where blocking the address has actually done something. So I mean, I I'm guessing, and this is pure speculation, the attacker is not either not sophisticated enough to properly launder it they're not in a country with you know, non-extradition that they 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 can't find someone that will clean their money for them uh, it, it's just too hot that no one's going to touch it and they have to give it back
1: can you imagine though yeah. like
0: you you hijack 600 million
1: dollars now you have no way of spending it <laughs>
2: that's terrible how do you I even think- do that
1: that's a lot of money
2: I think the biggest lesson learned is to not be greedy, and had he only taken maybe five or ten million, you know maybe the outcome would have been a little different
1: but but okay I think the the amount of people holding five to ten million exponentially smaller than people that are holding a fraction of it right and so like how on earth do you like how do you get over six hundred million dollars like that is like I don't think he just you know, meandered over to like the librarian and she had her computer unlocked and she's just, you know, sitting on this ton of cash and just, you know, transferred it out. Like how on earth do you talk? Like there had to have been a widespread
0: attack or.
2: Or an exchange, right? Like a big exchange holding a bunch of ETH.
0: Could yeah. Have. And why was the exchange had so much in hot wallets? Why wasn't it in cold storage? I think that's something we talked about in another podcast that, that any exchange reputable one should. Typically, have I, well, I don't know. Six hundred million is is absurd because depending on their daily volume, but most of the reputable exchanges have these things in cold storage in a safe somewhere underground, buried or on an, another continent. You hit the nail on
1: the head. Like, right? is six hundred million really that much in crypto? I mean, it is for a singular person, but like, really, what is an exchange actually seeing a day?
0: No yeah, knows. depending on the trading volumes on some of my, I'm not. As well versed in Ethereum as I am in Bitcoin, but yeah, six hundred million in Bitcoin since it's it's like fifty, almost fifty thousand a coin. It's it's actually six hundred million is not that much in a grand scheme of things. So I can see having six hundred million in Bitcoin in a in a hot or warm wallet. But Ethereum, I think it's at like three thousand now, so that's that's still quite a bit. But yeah, depending on the trading volumes, may or may not be makes sense to keep that keep that hot.
2: Uh, you know, my, my first question I think is. If they had used a different coin like Cardano or something, what's a little harder to trace, would they have gotten away with it, or would the Monero. Monero. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Monero or Zcash, one of those like truly anonymous ones. Yeah, yeah that's... that
2: that would have been an interesting case study to see how that played out.
0: Yeah. The during the colonial pipeline hack, the hackers originally asked for Monero just because it's it's way harder to track—not impossible, but but way harder to track. It was built with anonymity in mind, and Colonial said we'll only pay in Bitcoin, and Darkside said, "Okay, you can pay in Bitcoin, but you got to pay us ten percent premium." And then they paid the ten percent premium, but you know, thankfully, the FBI got a ton of that money back because they happened to pay in Bitcoin.
2: So the lesson learned is don't use the major. The major coins to do bad things. Yeah. <laughs> Reputable crypto. I like it.
0: On to our last topic, and this will be a rotating topic every week. This week's topic comes from our guest, Sammy, who suggested this topic when the podcast first got started. So now he has a chance to answer it live. Do security salespeople need security experience to be successful?
2: Yeah. Great question. Uh, so I'll just start with my thoughts and I'd love to hear you guys as well, since we all have kind of different positions and roles in the security space. So I don't think it's needed, but I absolutely believe it It helps and helps differentiate you uh, when you're working and selling. I found that when you're first trying to build rapport with a potential customer, if you can really understand what they're telling you and, and speak at their level, and actually know what you're talking about. I think it helps build some credibility and helps break the ice and drop the barriers a little bit. Um, I'm not saying you have to have it, but again, I think it helps. I've seen others who have taken it to you know spend the time and learn some of the things outside of what a typical salesperson would learn. And I've seen that it has helped them be successful. So while I don't think it's, you know, absolutely necessary. I think it's one of the many things that a salesperson can do to help them become a better salesperson.
1: So I actually have a philosophy on this. <clears throat> so number one, if you're out doing your thing by yourself, Sammy, be a parakeet. Anything you've ever heard of myself or Chris or your essay that you've ever had, you just, you just regurgitate that without even thinking. Uh, even if there's no context to it, just go ahead and do it. But I believe if you're a salesperson and you're in the room with technical folks, I need you to shut up and take notes and let the adults do the talking. I know that sounds harsh, but that's how I feel about it. And the reason why is this, if we're talking about technology and you ask something like rudimentary, right? Or the customer asks something rudimentary like, Hey, can you guys do SSL decryption or inspection, whatever you want to call it. And the salesperson says, yes, the answer is still yes. Like we can. However, the, the the customer, right? They look at this as like, hey, Sammy's got his hand in my pocket. Sammy's a liar, and so I don't really trust him. So let the technical folks answer it. I'll say yes. But the difference here is, if he had a you variety you know, dinner or drinks. They ask that question. There's no technical people around. Answer it. Because at the end of the day, you're planting a seed, in that meeting, that follow up where you have the SE, the SA's, or whomever. They're in there doing their thing. We're going to plant, you know, we're, that seed's already been planted. We're going to water it. And they're going to start to, like, like, out of nowhere in the back of their mind, I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense. I feel like they're telling the truth. That's how I, I believe it to be. But then again, I'm a little bit more harsh in uh, my delivery in, in all things. So, well,
2: no. no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I have also learned to, like you said, shut up and let the technical people talk when it's you know a technical topic and i've seen the benefits of doing that i think part of it is when somebody's trying to explain a problem and you understand the technical part of that problem and you can translate that into a business problem i think that's really where the advantage is if somebody tells you they're having all these troubles with you know their routing and their firewalls and whatever you know technical jargon and you're just sitting there with a big question mark above your head and you look at your se kind of like with the help bail me out here look you know, I mean, you can get through that conversation, but if you can actually understand everything they're saying and still let the SE have, you know, the, the technical response, but also incorporate that into your whole business pain, I think that really helps.
1: I would agree with you on that. Being able to marry it to, to actual, you know, technology to,
0: to the business is, is very, very valuable. I think you have to also have to be careful if you have a, an SE that's a, a prankster or a jokester. Uh, I knew some SEs that would say things like, yeah, our, our product can definitely do the the Kessel Run Under 12 parsecs just, just to mess with their salespeople to see if <laughs> we can get them to, to repeat that, if they could pair that. So if you have a jokester oh SE, goodness. you got to watch out for that one. But yeah, I think it's your point. For, for the most part, if you don't have a jokester SE, yeah, the, saying, saying the, those things and having that, that technical knowledge um, definitely helps. I've seen successful sales reps who are not technical, but they are good at doing things like developing executive relationships. And I've seen successful sales reps who like to get their hands dirty, they like to use their product, eat their own dog food. And they have, have used the product, they've tested it, they've encountered errors with the product, they've fixed the product. And I mean, I think I, the most successful salespeople I've seen are, are the ones that can combine all those things together. They're not just pieces of it, but, but everything as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. To answer your question, I don't think you need to have a,
1: a security background to get into security sales. I think if you're a true salesperson, you'll figure it out one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one way being you'll be successful. The other being you'll be promoted to customer looking for a job. (laughs) 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 I can say this because Sammy is obviously successful. He's been at his job for, I think the same amount of time as me, right? Four years or maybe maybe five?
2: Yeah, I actually just left, uh, just under five years. So oh, I'm starting a new gig in a couple of weeks.
1: Oh, Mr. Hollywood. I love it. Well, best of
0: luck to you, man. I had no idea. My bad.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'll do a quick plug. You can edit it out later. Legs work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Sammy is up.
2: Did you guys hear about the monkeys who shared an Amazon account?
0: No. They were primates. Ah. (laughs) Ah, 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 ah. Wordplay. (laughs) I like it. Nice. All right. To wrap things up, attackers are still successful because people don't patch or block known command and control servers. Apple is igniting a privacy discussion over its plan to scan users' photos. A major hack of a cryptocurrency network was successful, but the hacker is returning the money. You don't necessarily have to have security experience to work in security, but it certainly helps. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. You can help us grow the podcast by telling somebody else about it. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PEPCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For my co-host Brian Deitch and our guest Sami Poor, I'm Chris Louis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Bye team. Love you.
2: Bye bye. All done.